Last week, we started looking at this book, and it was this is going to be an exciting journey to go through this one. Uh, we, what we saw last time was Jesus starting this, this process of commissioning the local church. He is commissioning what we have today to start up at that point in time, and he's, he's getting the disciples ready so that because they have a task that they're going to have to do, and they're a major part of starting this church that we're, we have the benefits of today. And those men, as they start this task, this is not just a, uh, a little job they have to do. This is a supernatural undertaking. It's going it's to require supernatural abilities and Jesus is telling them, I am going to prepare you for this. I'm getting you ready to do this, this supernatural job because they can't just jump in and do it. And because of that, Jesus needed them to pull back. He needed them to, to, to wait and to, to make sure that they have the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives as they start this new job that they have to do. So I want us to, to review real quick the, the last section uh, that we did, and we'll go through those notes fairly fast, and then we'll, we'll catch us up and begin our new text. Now, last time we started, obviously, verse 1, we saw this is written to Theopolis. Um, and if you remember, this is like a part 2 for Luke. Luke's, the gospel was part 1, kind of like pre-ascension, and now we have the uh, the book of Acts, that's post-ascension. And it's all really one big account of what is happening uh, on earth that Jesus did, but at this we're starting now with part two. So this was to Theophilus, and the first thing we looked at was Jesus' prior ministry. We saw the starting of his work. If you remember in verse 1 it said, all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. He had only begun. And that's the, the word literally, the take the first step in carrying out some action. Jesus started this work, but there's more that has to be done. We're still in that process today. There's still more work being done. And that's what Acts is giving us. It's that continued work of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles. So that's what the book of Acts is. So that was the starting of his work. Then we saw the stopping of his work. Obviously, Jesus left. He ascended back to heaven, but now He continues that work from heaven through the Holy Spirit. And here, what we're seeing, uh, we saw in verse 2, was that He gave commandments to the apostles for what they were supposed to do. And one of the key things with this is the fact that Jesus has the right to do this. He has the right to give commandments to these disciples because He chose them, end of verse 2, whom He had chosen. And in the exact same way, Jesus has every right in the world. If you are here as a believer today, you have been chosen, and He has every right to command you to do what He wants you to do, and you, you have a responsibility to obey Him. So there's, there's no difference in that sense from then to today. We, we have a responsibility to obey Jesus. Point two was the disciples' preparation. The disciples' preparation. That was verses 3 to 5. Here we saw how the Lord helped to, to prepare these apostles. First thing we saw was Jesus' priority. In verse number 3, He showed Himself alive in order to prove His resurrection. He wanted them extremely confident and sure of the fact that He is risen from the dead. He beat death. Death held nothing on Jesus. So he proved his resurrection in this verse, and he also taught them about the kingdom of God. And that, that was a source of confusion for them a lot during his ministry. But, uh, but that's something he wanted to, to reiterate with them. Uh, point B was the disciples' pause. Beginning of verse 4, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. That was the command. So that was the pause they had to take. And then we saw the Father's promise. Uh, end of verse number 4, uh, we saw that uh, they were to wait for the promise of the Father, which said he, you've heard of me. So they were to wait. This gift, this promise, the gift that was to come from the Father would be theirs, and they would be fully immersed 
in the Holy Ghost. They, they were to wait for that event to happen and stay in Jerusalem until it did. So today, we're going to hear that what Jesus is going to do is He's going to give them their marching orders. They are about to get their job, and, and it's a repeat somewhat from the book of Luke that we saw several weeks ago. But I want us to notice as we go through these verses that Jesus is going to he's going to leave them. And some of what we're going to see and hear is going to be a little bit surprising with their reactions. But I, I trust that this text will be a challenge and an encouragement to us. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll look at these, these next verses. Father, I thank You for Your goodness. Lord, thank You for caring about us. Thank You for being interested in us. Lord, I ask that You would help us this morning. Lord, help us to be focused on You. Lord, there are so many distractions going on in this world, so many things that are, that are difficult to, to fathom in our mind. Lord, help us to block things out that we don't need to be thinking on and help us to be able to concentrate on Your Word. I ask that You would allow Your Spirit free reign to minister to us. God, cause us to be sensitive to Your direction in our lives. Lord, I, I pray that You would help us as we look into Your Word to understand it. I ask for Your help as I preach that You keep me free from error. Lord, help me not to be a distraction to the work that You desire to have done here this morning. God, above all, would You please allow Yourself to be glorified by our time here together in some way. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Point number three on your handouts. I forgot to ask, does anyone need... I have a few more handouts in the back. If anyone is needing one, just go ahead and put your hand up and we'll get it to you. Okay, so we're good. All right. Point number three is the disciples' purpose. The disciples' purpose. Now, in these verses 6 through 8, Acts 1, verses 6 through 8, Jesus is going to let the disciples know, here is your primary purpose in life. This is what I expect. This is the primary. And, and, and this is something I want you and I to understand this morning. Our purpose in life is no different than what He's giving these disciples. We have the same underlying purpose that these men had. So this passage that we're going to read is for us. So here he's going to tell them, this is your purpose. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that the disciples then had kind of the same problem, or one of the same problems we have today. The disciples really enjoyed, and they had this passion to want to know about the secret things of God. The things that were not revealed to them, that's where their focus was. That's where they wanted to put most of their energy, and a lot of people today do the same exact thing. The things that we are not meant to know, the things that we can't know, that's where we put all of our focus. And here's the problem. We do that often to the exclusion of clearly given truth that we do know. And we push aside, we ignore the things that are clearly revealed to us and we put all of our focus on things that are not clearly revealed to us. And because of that, we end up sometimes leading a useless life. As we know things that are clearly revealed, those are where we need to put our focus. That's where we need to be concentrating on. And this passage, Jesus is going to show very clearly His emphasis was on the Spirit of God and on the Kingdom of God. And that's where we need to have our emphasis. And we'll see that as we go through these verses. Look at, look at verse number 6. Uh, point A is the disciples' confusion. Verse 6 says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of Him, saying, Lord, wilt Thou at this time restore again the Kingdom to Israel? Now, the disciples have asked this before. And I'm, 
it's really, when you look at it, it's not that, it's not that bad of a question. It's kind of a logical question. At least, I'll, I'll give the disciples this, they're being consistent. They have constantly been saying, Lord, is now the time? Is now the time? Are you going to set up your kingdom now? Win, win, win. And they keep pushing for this. That has been their focus since they have known Jesus. Are you going to set up your physical kingdom at this time? And I would say now, at this point, this makes sense. This is a really logical thing because what they have just seen is Our Lord just conquered death. Those Romans killed Jesus and Jesus came back. They can't can't stop Him. If Jesus can beat death, well, surely He can take out these Romans. If He can beat death, surely Jesus can, can dominate any nation in the world. He has power over death. This would have gotten them excited. And what we see with these disciples is it shows it shows their faith in a risen Lord. They are understanding this very clearly that He beat death. We need to understand that. If, if Jesus is not risen, we're, we should be miserable people today. But He has risen. And they're understanding this point and that's why they're pushing this. This also shows they have a zeal. And I appreciate that. These men have a zeal for God's kingdom. They're ready to see it happen. Can you imagine if the church today had a little bit more of this zeal? We wanted to see the kingdom of God advance and we weren't complacent, which is living the American dream. We need to have some of this zeal about seeing God's kingdom established, seeing God glorified. It also shows that they had a grief over the prospect of Jesus leaving them a second time. They just lost Him once. They they had Jesus taken from them and they don't want to have it happen again. All that's good. But we need to understand that Jesus had already told them. Back in Matthew 24, verse 36, He said, this is not for you to know the times or the seasons. It's not for you to know these things. This is something that's that's outside of our pay grade, if you will. This is not something we need to be preoccupied with. And And that's the word I want you to understand with the disciples they were preoccupied with this return and this physical reign of Jesus just like people today are preoccupied with it. There are Christians today, one stands out to me, this is from way past, a a guy left his ministry uh, pastoring a church because he was so, he he was just taken up with prophecy and that's all he wanted to preach on. And so he left the church in order to go around and just do nothing but preach on prophecy. That was his, it was his everything. That is where he was. Christians today, we spend countless hours looking at and studying biblical prophecy. Can you imagine if we took some of the energy and the time that we spend as, an, as Christians in our nation diving into prophecy and talking about prophecy, if we spent that kind of a time doing the clear things that God has given to us to do, putting our energy into trying to advance His kingdom, putting our energy into just reaching out to our neighbors. If we spent the same energy, we, this, this would make a huge difference in our nation. I'm not saying that studying biblical prophecy is wrong. It's not wrong. We have it in the Scriptures. It is given to us and we are to understand it. My point is, we should just we need to be careful not to be preoccupied 
with things that have not been revealed to us, things that we just don't know. Sometimes I've seen some people who get, when they study, not study, when they are preoccupied with end times events, I've seen a number of people who it, it leads to this defeatist mentality. Everything is horrible. Everything is bad. Everything's leading to this, to this final culmination of evil. Everything is a bad thing. And listen, everything is horrible. I'm not fighting this. You walk out in the world and you don't have to be out there long and you're going to run into negative stuff. You're going to run into problems. I understand this. I've met people who have this, oh, I just can't wait for the Lord to come back mentality. And I'm looking forward to it. That's not where our focus needs to be is everything is gloom and doom and I just can't wait because I'm, I'm miserable. If you're here as a believer today, you've got a whole lot to be thankful for. You and I should be grateful that we're on the winning side already and we get to, to, to fight from that side. We get to be used by the God of the universe to help promote His kingdom. It should not lead to this defeatist attitude. Things out there are bad. I'm not arguing that. We should be looking for and waiting on the Lord. I'm not arguing that. But that should give us a motivation to get busy about telling people about the only hope to cure all the bad that's out there. We should be wanting to explain to them about Jesus Christ. If that's not where looking towards the end times is leading us, we're failing. That's where prophecy is goes too far. It should not be a study of prophecy just for the sake of studying prophecy. <clears throat> Look at verse number 7. Point B, Jesus clarifies. Jesus clarifies. Verse number 7, they ask, Is now the time? He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times nor the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Jesus said that very kindly. And I'm going to say that is a very polite way of saying, disciples, it's none of your business. This is not for you to know. It's none of your concern. You need to pull back from this. This is totally in the Father's authority. Way above you. you don't, it's not your place to know these things. You, you're not going to understand it. Kind of like when, a few weeks ago, do you remember when, when Jesus was restoring Peter? And he said, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to die this kind of a death. He explained things to him. And Peter looked back and said, well, Jesus, what about him? And, what, and again, Jesus kindly said, it's none of your business. What is that to you? You follow me. You do what you're supposed to do. You be concerned about obeying me and you don't worry about the things that are, again, above our pay grade. These are things that aren't our problem. They're not something that we should be having our focus on. But you notice when Jesus says this, He says, it's not for you to know this, but Jesus doesn't reject what they're saying. Jesus doesn't even start to say, no, this isn't going to happen. Jesus does not reject the idea that Messiah, Him, that He is going to reign again. He doesn't reject that. He doesn't reject that Israel is going to again become a dom the dominant nation, the dominant influence in this world that we have today. He doesn't reject it. That's going to happen. Whenever you hear the teaching, or people teaching, and it's out there a lot, that the church has taken the place of Israel. Replacement theology. That's not true. God is still working in His people. One day, He is going to give them a new heart as a nation, and they are going to come back to Him. One day, Jesus will set that temple up again. One day, Jesus will rule. One day, Israel will be blessed all over again. It's coming. The church has not taken their place. But this, this idea of the prophecy should not become our focal point. 
Have you ever met people who read something or see something happening in the news? And immediately they apply that to a specific interpretation of prophecy? Don't do it. Now if you see Russia come down, you won't, come down onto Israel, it's going to be after we're gone. But there are things that we, we just can't be putting ourselves on this track of everything becoming something about prophecy. Prophecy is good, but don't, don't let prophecy get us off track of advancing the kingdom of God. Now, notice the first word in the next verse, but, but. Instead of being preoccupied with all of these things that you guys are preoccupied with, disciples, instead of being preoccupied with this, here's what I want you to focus on. And this is our point C. The Disciples' Commission. This is probably one of the most famous verses in our Bible. It definitely is a key verse for the book of Acts. The disciples know their charge. Back, We saw this a good while back. Matthew 28, 18-20. Jesus made it very clear. You are commanded to go and make disciples. There's the command for the disciples. For the, for the, for the apostles, they were to go make, reproduce themselves spiritually. And here, what Jesus is going to do is reiterate this command. And he's going to encourage them. They need the encouragement. This is a huge task. This is big. So he's going to give them a lot in this verse. So the disciples' commission, first thing we see, is the energy. The energy. Verse number 8, But you shall receive power. Okay. The first word I want us to see here is you. Notice here he's saying you. You individuals. He's not saying you church. You as a group. This, this power that Jesus has given is not for the corporate church. This power that He has given is for you and me as individuals. Whenever something happens that is spiritually profitable, it does not happen because an organization is saying we are going to do this. When something happens that is profitable spiritually, it happens because individual Christians, you and me, we put our feet to the ground and allow the Lord to use us. It's people. It's individuals yielding themselves to get a job done. So this is for you and me as people, as individuals. You shall receive. That word receive is not something that is an active process. It is not something where you and I go out and we have to do something in order to get this. The receive is something that is passive. He's saying, you, Christian, you're going to receive this, not of anything you've done. The Father is going to give this to you. It is a passive event. We can't help in the process. As you and I repent, as we turn from our sins to become followers of Jesus Christ, when that happens, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. We don't. We don't have a second stage we go through to receive Him. There's nothing else we have to do. It is, the, the Holy Spirit is imparted to us. We receive Him. You shall receive power. Power to carry out a function. And we know from this verse that function is to be witnesses. We are to be witnesses. If you get nothing else out of today, take this one home. That's what He wants from you and me. We are to be witnesses. He says, I'm going to help you. Because what's coming up, you can't handle this on your own strength. And He was right. The disciples couldn't handle this. We can't handle this. We can't do this supernatural work. So we need this power. And that word power is important. We're going to see this repeated ten different times in this book. It's important. It's an important concept. Now, people, what they need to see in our lives is they need to see an evidence. They need to see an outworking of the Holy Spirit's power in us that's changed us. It is changing us. 
People need to see this this happening and they need to have us demonstrating in our lives a life that gives credit to the Lord, a life that gives glory to God. They need to see this in us. Now this word, you've heard this word before, the, the word for power, that dunamis. This is the word, we get a number of English words from this. You know, one of them is the word dynamic. Someone is dynamic. If a person is a dynamic person, they've got constant activity. They're energetic. They're a force that causes change. This is the word for dynamic. We also get our word dynamo from it. Now that word can be used two ways. It can be used about it and, and uh, a mechanical thing that changes from mechanical energy to electrical energy. It makes change happen. But a dynamo is used to refer to people. That person is just energetic. That person is moving. They're constantly, they're a little dynamo all the time. And we know the word dynamite. Big explosion. You know, a lot of energy is happening. The Holy Spirit, and here's the point, the Holy Spirit gives us power to be instruments that stimulate change. Think about that for a moment. The Holy Spirit gives you and me, this is hard for me to fathom, He gives you and me power to be instruments that stimulate change. God wants to use us that way. He wants to use us to help promote His kingdom by making disciples of lost people. That's what He wants us to do. So here's my question for you. Are we using that power? If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you've received that power. Are we using that power to further His kingdom or... Here's your option. Are we ignoring it? That's what we're doing. You have that power in you. The Holy Spirit is in you if you are a follower of Jesus. Either you're using it or you're ignoring it. You're doing one of the two. When we're consumed with our own abilities and we're consumed with everything about us, when everything about life is about me, 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 when that's our focus, we're not going to be utilizing His power. We need to be focusing on Jesus. We're going to come back to this point. So see the energy. Second thing we see is the energizer. The energizer. Okay, we know that's the Holy Spirit. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's when the power would be given to them. Now before Jesus sent the church into the world, notice that He sent the Holy Spirit into the church. That order matters. That had to happen. They were not going to be witnesses until the Holy Spirit came on them. And I would suggest that the same thing is true for us. You're not going to be the instrument that God desires you to be until you're allowing the Holy until the Holy Spirit has come in, first of all, and then you're yielding to Him. And the Holy Spirit is directing us. And this Holy Spirit, when He mentions here, is come upon you, that is not a repeated action. That is a one-time event. It is a one-time happening where the Holy Spirit would come upon them and not continuous. Now, the same again, true today. One-time event, at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells inside of us. Romans 8 9 makes it very clear that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of this. You have to have the Holy Spirit if you are saved. Now, the question that usually pops up, and I don't want to take a lot of time with this, but what is the difference between this receiving the Holy Spirit and then Ephesians 5.18 being filled with the Holy Spirit? being filled with the Holy Spirit, that is a repeatable action. That's something that should happen over and over very, very often. Because this, that, this idea of being filled with the Spirit, the idea with that word is to be controlled by Him. Allowing the Spirit of God to, to dictate. So how do we do this? How do you and I become filled with the Holy Spirit? It's nothing mystical. The Holy Spirit's job is constantly to point us back to this book. 
To point us back to Jesus Christ and what He desires in our lives. So the way that you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit is when we allow this book to dictate our lives. When this book matters, when the truths of this book impact us, the Holy Spirit will be directing. So what you and I need to be doing as we receive the Holy Spirit, it is our responsibility to yield to and to submit to the teachings of the Word of God. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to keep pointing us back to. So how how do we make this uh, even more practical? You've heard this phrase before. The key to being led, submitted to, controlled by the Holy Spirit is this. Make your next decision a right one. I'm not concerned about a year from now. You make your next decision a right one, and a year from now will take care of itself. We just need to make sure that what we're doing is being directed by the Word of God. And it's each individual decision. When the Holy Spirit is in us, and when you and I are responding to Him in an appropriate way, obediently, one of the outward signs that you're going to see in that person's life is witnessing. That is the commission that Jesus has given us. Look at your next phrase here. This is your point three, the expectation. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. That's a natural response to you and I being led by the Spirit of God. We will be witnesses. This word witnesses is interesting. This is, where, this is the word we get our word martyr from. Witnesses is where we get the word martyr because those who chose to follow Jesus early on like this and in most of the world today, most of the ones who were choosing to follow Jesus were doing it to their death. And that's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? You want to serve me? Deny yourself? Take up your cross? Follow me. It is to be a self-sacrificing relationship. So this word is the word for our word for martyr. And keep in mind, this same power that he's talking about, this power that, that Jesus is, says that he will give us, this is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. This is the same power that helps us to be a faithful witness. This is a tremendous amount of power. And and listen, we have no excuse. That's what I'm trying to drive home. We have the ability that we need. Everything we need to be a witness has been given to us. Now let me rephrase that a little. You are a witness. If you're saved today, you are a witness. It's not a matter of whether you are one or not. You are a witness. The question is, are you a faithful witness? Are you an unfaithful witness? You're one of those two. So if you're saved, you are a witness. Maybe you're thinking, I've had people say this, I just can't do that. I can't go engage people in conversation. I don't have that. Somebody told me I had the gift of gab. I don't even know what that is. You know what? That's not what you're needing. You just need to be a witness. And people think, you know, I can't do this. Okay, what would happen if you were out here leaving today and you saw an accident happen? And you saw it clearly. You knew exactly what happened. And guess what? They call you up to be what? A witness. And you step up and you say, well, judge, listen, I'm not comfortable doing this. I'm in front of people right now and I don't want to, 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 to say stuff. I'm not a lawyer. I haven't been trained in, in, all the, in all the stuff that goes on in a courtroom. I don't know how to do this. I've got no experience and I'm scared. And what are they going to say? Oh, that's okay. You don't have to. They're going to say, look, look, it's okay. It's alright. You can do this. All you got to do is just tell what you saw. Tell what you heard. Tell what you know. Explain 
the thing that you know. That's all, that's all a witness does. Just explain what you do know. You don't have to have a complete understanding. If somebody's brakes went out that caused this wreck, you don't have to understand the brake system of a car. You just got to know what happened and say what you know. You don't have to be eloquent. And now we're going back to the witnessing side. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have anything. Do you? How many of you have heard of Dwight Moody? Most of you? Do you know what grade he finished? Fifth grade. There's his educational level. And God used that man. It's not our education level. God, understand this one, God is not as interested in your ability as He is in your availability. That's what He wants. He wants you to be available to be His instrument. To be a vessel that He can use. Aren't you glad for 1 Corinthians 1.27? Yeah, 1.27. God delights. He likes to do this. He likes using weak things. Because then who gets the glory? He does. God delights to use us weak things. Those of us who are not the sharpest tack on the board. He likes to use us. And He's good at it. He doesn't need your eloquence. He doesn't need you to have all of the answers to all of life's problems. He just wants you and me to be available. That's what He wants. And like it or not, like it or not, God, for whatever purpose He has, He has chosen to use us. His plan is to use people. He could have sent angels. He could have wrote it in the sky. He could have done anything He wanted to do. But His whole plan involves you and me. That's scary to me. When something that important is dependent, I take, I'm, I'm saying that word lightly, when He uses us to accomplish His purposes, there's, there's some soberness in that. God wants to use you and me to help build His kingdom. All I can say for us is you and I, what we need to do is let's, let's just get on board with His program. That's what He wants. And if He wants to use us to work in the visible way while He's working in an invisible way that we don't get, let's get on board with it. Let's get serious about following Jesus. So, last thing we see on that one is the extent. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto Me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Numerous things we can see with that last phrase. Um, one of the, the easiest is this fact that that's a good outline for this book. You realize that chapters 1 through 7, you'll be witnesses in me unto Jerusalem. There's 1 through 7. Then you go to chapters 8 through 12, and you've got Peter going out to Judea and Samaria. And then 13 to the end, you've got Paul going to the uttermost part of the earth. So there, there's an outline for the book that's coming up. We've also see the fact that you could say we let it start in Jerusalem. Um, Jesus says very clearly a few verses later that the gospel's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't don't take away from that. Jesus came to reach the children of Israel as a priority. Gentiles have been in the mix since the Old Testament. But there is a Jewish priority. And we shouldn't minimize that, 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 that fact. Jesus still wants His chosen people to receive the Gospel. And then go from there. Jesus came and He primarily ministered to Jews. Now how many times have you heard this? This, this verse used to say, well this is my Jerusalem my hometown. Well, I'm not really fighting that one, but let me remind you of something. All of these men that he's talking to right now were from somewhere else other than Jerusalem. 
That's him up in Galilee. The only the only disciple, unless I'm missing one, was that was from Jerusalem was Judas, and he's now dead. All the others are from Galilee. So he's not necessarily having to say, you know, start at your hometown, but I would say this. He is definitely saying, okay, I've, I've told you, stay in Jerusalem. And you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and then going out from there. Can, can we, at least we agree to just say it this way. You start witnessing right where you are. Don't wait to go somewhere else. I've had people say to me, oh, if, I was, if God calls me to a mission field, then I'll witness. No, you won't. I don't believe that. You start right where you are. If you're not doing something now, you're not going to do it somewhere else. It doesn't get any easier just because people there don't like you. It gets harder. He says, you start right where you are and then work out a little bit from there. And it will work out. And you just keep working out. You let God expand your circle of influence and you keep being the witness that God wants you to be. See, that's, that's where it gets hard. We have all kinds of excuses on why we don't witness. We're embarrassed. We don't have all the answers. And guess what? You don't have all the answers. You don't need all the answers. Just be a faithful witness. Say what you know. Let them stump, let them stump you with their questions. It's okay. Get the answer and go back. You and I just need to be faithful witnesses. That's our job. That is our calling. That is what, so when, when the question gets asked, what is God's will for my life? This is it. This is one of those areas you can point people back to. We are to live for Him and tell other people about Him. That's our job. He's given us the power to do that. If you think you can't do it, if you're saying, if you're going to be saying in your mind this morning, that's good for you, but I can't do this. What you're saying is, God, you're a liar, because God said, I'll give you the power you need to do it. And God's not a liar. He has given every believer the power they need to be a witness for Him. The question is then, are we using it? That's our call. We're to use His power. Point number four. Jesus pardoned. So these words that we just heard are the last recorded words of Jesus in our Bible before he left. And now, Jesus is going to leave them physically. He's going to be gone. So, first thing I want us to see, verse 9, is Jesus' ascension. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So, when he finished this last thing, while they beheld, that word, beheld, their eyes were riveted on Jesus. Have you ever been watching something and it just had your focus, it had your attention, and you weren't taking your eyes off of it? They were focused. They were, they were just attentive to Jesus. And while they're watching Him, they see Him raise up off the ground. He physically goes up and we're told a cloud receives Him out of their sight. The word that's used here for a cloud is our normal word for a cloud. He went up into the sky, but possibly. We're told in 1 Timothy 3.16 that he was received up into glory. Where else do we see a cloud listed? You look back in the Old Testament, we had the, that, the, the cloud that covered the temple, the Shekinah glory of God. Could it be could it be that when Jesus was raised, when ascended, that he was just received up by the Father? He went right up into that Shekinah glory cloud. He went up into the presence of the Father himself. And what would that show us? The Father's approval. The Father receiving him, the very presence of the Father. He's going back to be with the Father. Jesus accomplished everything that he was sent to this earth to accomplish. And then he was received up to sit at the right hand of his Father. 
His ministry's over now. Now that post-resurrection, heavenly ministry is beginning. But Jesus went up. I would see that as into the presence directly of God. I can't be dogmatic with that. But given 1 Timothy 3.16, it makes sense to me. See his ascension? We also see the disciples' anguish. Verse number 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. They looked steadfastly toward heaven. That word, the, the steadfastly, has the idea of to gaze longingly, to, they were intent, they were straining to see. They didn't want to let Jesus out of their sight. They wanted to keep him. And again, this makes sense. The Lord is ascending into heaven. You ever watched someone do that before? I haven't. He just raised up from the ground. And he kept going. He went up and they're, they're watching. They want to see this. But, he, but listen, they've lost him once before. When Jesus died on that cross, they were grieved. And now they're losing him again. They don't like the concept of Jesus being taken. And when this happens, we see this word, behold. They were looking at Him and, hey, pay attention. This is big. Whoa, this was a huge thing. There's your behold. Two men appeared. We're not told that they were angels, but they meet the same uh, description as the two that met the ladies in the empty tomb. I would say they're angels. These, these, these angels met with the disciples and gave them this, this announcement. That's your point C, the angel's announcement. Verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So again, all these men are from Galilee. And they're gazing up. They're looking longingly. I appreciate that. I appreciate that they're looking for Jesus. They want to be with Him. Again, they lost Him once. They're not looking forward to doing it again. It's only natural that they don't want Him to leave. It's only natural that they want Him to come back. I hope that's where we are today. I hope we're excited about the return of our Lord. I hope we're excited not just to get away from problems. I hope we're excited about being able to see Him. About being able to fellowship with Him face to face. We need to be looking forward to this. We need that same attitude. And can I suggest this? If we're busy looking for the return of Jesus, we're going to be a whole lot more likely to be living for Him. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be living our lives in such a way that shows He could come back at any point. Because He could. And notice this promise they give here. This same Jesus. The same Jesus that was with the Father in eternity past. The same Jesus who did the creation. The same Jesus who was God incarnate come to this world. The same Jesus that walked with you men. The same Jesus that taught you. The same Jesus that was crucified. The same Jesus that conquered death. The same Jesus that you just watched fly up into space. This exact same Jesus is going to come back in the same way He just left. And that's what's going to happen. Jesus just left with the Father's approval. He's going to come back with the Father's approval. Jesus just left visibly. He's going to come back visibly. Jesus just left with total power. Guess what? He's going to come back with total power. That's what's coming. And the disciples, they were, they were anxious for this. Christian, we need to be anxious for this. We need to be looking for this anticipating it, and living our lives in such a way that shows I'm ready for Jesus to come back. You're going to have a hard time saying I'm ready for Jesus to come back while you're in the middle of your sin. They don't go together. I'm sure the disciples were saddened. The disciples are watching the one they love more than anyone 
leave this earth. But now they understand their purpose. They understand Jesus has given us all of the power we need to go and do His ministry. We are to promote His kingdom on this earth by making disciples. They get that point now. They've just seen Jesus ascend to the glory of the Father and they know that He will help them. He's going to be with them to do this task. Christian, that same thing is true for you. He has given us everything we need to accomplish the task of furthering His kingdom. And that is our main job today. Let's stand. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, that's what Jesus desires for you today. He wants you to become His follower. He tasked the disciples and us to make followers of Jesus. And to be one of these followers, what you need is to be forgiven. You need to be reconciled to God. I would love nothing more than to help you with that today. Because that's the greatest need of hurt anybody has on this planet. Is to be forgiven and be reconciled to God. Christian, you and I have the exact same mandate as these apostles. We are to make disciples. That's our job. We're to get busy at this process right where we are. We don't have to wait for anything special. We get to get busy. Let's get busy making disciples. You don't need special invitations. You don't need some kind of special training. And I'm not saying training is bad. You don't need that to start doing your job. What we need to do is just get busy serving the Lord and promoting His kingdom. You have all of the power you need to do that. And I encourage you, don't let anything get in the way of you doing God's will for your life, making disciples. If I can help you, please see me in front or see me after the service.